Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your love. We pray for wisdom, direction, and Lord, uh, constantly to look to you. And we pray for wisdom this morning as we look to your text, that you would be honored, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Why don't you open to the book of Hosea, chapter 2, please. Right after the book of Daniel. The book of Hosea. The message entitled, Backslidden, Unfaithful Israel. The prophets were called to confront the disobedient, corrupt, idolatrous people of God in order that they might repent and turn back to God. Sometimes God um, told some of these prophets to do some strange things in the way they would communicate their messages. Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 13, 1 through 11 had to get a sash or a girdle and, and wear it and then go buried in the Euphrates River and after a while take it back and it was all marred and everything and he said that he would uh, ruin the pride of, of Judah the same way and that they were probable for nothing. Their spiritual condition, very vivid picture, a visual one. Uh, Ezekiel the prophet, if you've ever read him, he had many charade things. He stood against judgment about the city. And remember, Ezekiel's in, in Babylon, Jeremiah's in Jerusalem. They're going back and forth. you got false prophets on both ends. And, uh, and Ezekiel is doing all these charades with the frying pan in front of the fire and throwing a couple of hairs in that burned up. The other one's on the bottom of his belt for the remnant, you know, and he's slapping his leg and everything else. And then he's covering his eyes and putting a knapsack over his shoulder, cutting a wall, hole in the wall and walking through it, predicting that Zechariah is going to flee when the judgment comes. And all these vivid pictures to communicate to the people of God that they repent and come back to God. Hosea is being used by God to speak to the northern kingdom of Israel about their unfaithfulness to God through his own personal tragic experience of an adulterous wife. A very um, literal, not symbolic, not allegorical. Hosea represents God. His name means salvation, as we've seen. Gomer represents Israel. Uh, this is very clear in chapter 1, verse 2. It says, When the Lord began to speak to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry, the children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. And then in chapter 3, verse 1 again, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by her lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. In chapter 3 there, Hosea goes and buys Gomer back from the slave market. So the literal parallel, you cannot get away. God interprets exactly what he's talking about. The children of the descendants of Israel, Jezreel, God's souls are scatters. Laharuma, no mercy, no pity. And Loami, not my people. Everything's a parallel. Literal. The time again remembers Jeroboam II, 793 to 753 B.C. It's been 200 years since the kingdom has been divided through Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. The northern kingdom has set up calf worship, Dan and Bethel. Um, The time is time of luxury, prosperity, and uh, spiritual decay. And that's always the equivalent without the Lord. And um, Hosea is called to minister during this time to call the people of God back from the northern kingdom. But to no avail, as we'll see. So what we want to do is look to the words of God to idolatrous Israel uh, in chapter 2 from verse 2 to 23, which is characterized by three things. But let me read our text. Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges, for she is not my wife. Um, 
nor am I her husband. Let her put away the harlotries from her sight and the adulteries from between her breasts. Lest I strip her and uh, her naked and expose her as in the day that she was born. And make her like a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy on her children for they are the children of harlotry. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has be behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. And therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in so that she cannot find her path. She will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better for me than now. For she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepare for Baal. Therefore I will return and take away her grain in its time, and my new wine in its season. I will take back my wool, my linen, given to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of all her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast day, her new moons, her sabbaths, all her appointed feasts, and I will destroy her vines and her fig tree, of which she has said, These are my wages that my lovers have given me. So I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. I will punish her for the days of the Baals of which she burned incense. She decked herself with... Uh, um, with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but she, but she, but me, she forgot, says the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortable to her. I will give her her vineyards for, uh, from there and the valley of Acor as the door of hope. She shall sing there. And in those days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the bells and they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day, I will make a covenant uh, for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air and with the creeping things of the ground, bow and sword battle of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in love and loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. It shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall Answer with grain, with new wine, with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Then I will show her for myself. I will sow her for myself in the earth. And I will have mercy on who had no obtained mercy. And I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. The word of God to idolaters Israel is characterized by the following three things. First, the past unfaithful love of Israel, verse 2 through 5. Second, the present chastising love of God, in verse 6 through 13. And thirdly, the future redemptive love of God, in verses 14 through 23. Notice I begin with verse 2. Verse 1 should be the last verse of chapter 1. If you put it in verse 1, you're going to misapply the context, and it's no good. 
Chapter 2 should begin with verse 2. This demonstrates the past unfaithful love of Israel. Notice in verse 2, the case God declared against Israel was adultery. The one to contend with, with, with her was her children, the children of marriage. Verse 2 tells us, this is not a suggestion, but an imperative command. Bring charges. The word charges means a con- to contend or make a complaint. This was a formal accusation, a grave matter of the most personal, the most intimate, the most destructive to a person in the closest bond, marriage. This charge is to be against the one who bore them, against your mother. Bring charges, he says another time. The imperative command stated again, twice giving uh, the emphasis to the horrific nature of the sin here. The most intimate, as I said, the most personal, the one to, who's supposed to love you the most. And this often has happened, and people cringe when they have committed that, and they sit in the congregation as expounded like I'm doing right now. But if you have truly repented, and your wife, your husband has, has reconciled, then we, we would not be quiet to warn others. We would be uh, negligent to do so. We understand the restoration of God. And so we warn others that would might go that way, perhaps, in their decisions. The command, without any doubt, applies to both the children of Hosea and the children of Israel who had remained faithful to God in the midst of the idolatrous nation. Certainly, Hosea's wife, Gomer, has gone, and this appeal was for her children with no doubt. For the personal tragedy of Gomer's adultery against Hosea was a parallel to Israel's we've seen in chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, 1. You can't have it any other way. It's literal. Starting the next verse, it is clear that the speaker is God directly to the nation. As we go through this whole passage, count the number of personal pronouns. I, I, I will, I, I, I will. 50, 60 times. This is God speaking. God's in control. Now notice in verse 2, the consequence of her adultery broke the marriage covenant with God and presented her with divorce paper, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband, verse 2 at the end says. Isaiah 50, verse 1 says, Thus saith the Lord, Where is the certificate of your mother's divorce, whom I have put away? Of which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? For your iniquities you have sold yourself, and for your transgressions your mother has been put away. Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 3, verse 6 through 8, um, says, The Lord has also said uh, to me, said to me, In the days of Josiah the king, have you seen what backslidden Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain, under every green tree, and there played the harlot. And I said, after she had done all these things, return to me. That means repent. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister, Judah, saw it. Then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister, Judah, did not fear, but went and played the heart it also a hundred and some years later. 606, 596, 586, the last Siege, the third siege into Babylon. Wow. Jeremiah has much to say about treacherous north in Jeremiah, also chapter 3, verse 6 through 8 and 11 through 14. And so 
The passionate plea of God to Israel was to abandon her unfaithful acts. Listen to the end of two. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. Describing vividly the act of a man having sex with a prostitute, being unashamed. The word sight means in front or before her face and between her breasts. We are the only individual that God allows us to have sexual intercourse face to face. That it would be the most intimate, the most personal, the most unashamed thing as husband and wife. And that it would, it would shame us and degrade us when it is not our wife and husband. God has put that within us, that consciousness. But, but through sin, we callous, we destroy what is intimate, we make it common. <clears throat> Notice the warning of God he gives to Israel was not a threat, but a promise in verse 3 and 4. In verse 3, the particular action against her is declared. God would humble her, lest I strip her naked and expose her as in the day that she was born. Bring her back to nothing, to being alone. God would take everything from her and make her like a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. Sometimes people are so blessed, they don't realize how blessed they are, and they feel almost entitled, and, or they attribute the blessing to wrong things, as we'll see. The particular union would be severed. Notice in verse 4 there, I will not have mercy on her children, for they are the children of of harlotry, the nation affected individuals. Now, there were some faithful, but the majority of the nation, but even the faithful pay the consequences, do they not? The people had gone too far. There would be no more pity or compassion from God at this point. The holiness of God demands removing himself from this union. Notice verse 5, the incriminating evidence against Israel is presented by God. Her guilt is presented. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully. The northern kingdom went after every idol god. The northern kingdom was fully entrenched in the lewd sexual fertility rites of the pagan gods. Her words condemn her. Listen to them carefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. God's going to have a rebuttal to that. <laughs> Yours? Yours? You might be saying, yeah, I've gone to school. I've worked hard. I'm a pretty smart person. Where'd you get the brains? Where'd you get the breath? Hmm. She ignorantly was determined to go after her lovers, the pagan gods. She deceptively believed these gods were responsible for her provisions of food, clothing, and luxury. Listen to Jeremiah 2.13. said, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In Israel, there's very little rain, as you know, and so in those days they would hewn cisterns out of caverns and stone and it would take many years and they would never know if it, the work was for in vain because they would only have to test in the first rain once it filled up 
if there was a, 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 a crack in the, in, the, in the cistern, the water would leak out. All that worked for nothing. You've left the fountain of living water with me and you've hewn on cisterns and cisterns that have cracks in them. Wow, what a picture. I think of David. Even as Hosea is called to confront Israel, David was confronted by God as a sin, Nathan, for his lustful passion for Bathsheba. The destruction that that sin brought to David, to her, to her husband. It destroys incredibly. I don't think there's any other sin that destroys so much. And yet we also see the grace of God as we'll see at the third point that God is forgiving and God is merciful and God does do an incredible work when the two people are open toward the grace of God. But it takes a complete dying to self. In fact, that is the only reason God allows biblically your divorce, adultery. It's the only reason. No other. Because sometimes people just can't handle it. But I've seen many people who have. And God is blessed. But it is a choice. The people in the church today are no different than Israel. God charged with people with spiritual adultery. As he looks down to the church today, I, I, I am positive. Um, those who say they're Christians and yet they're um, taking drugs still, drinking, uh, just like the sinners in the world. I, I don't understand the mentality of the emerging church leaders and the emerging philosophy that they think that Christians are okay for them to drink. So when you go to Christian uh, activities today, don't be uh, shocked when you see Christians drinking. It's just like the world. Just let them run for a little while. What, what did alcohol ever do for you in the world? I know what it did for me. Did everything that was bad. It's a depressant. It's a deceiver. It's a destroyer. Why would you want to go there as a Christian? Those who say they're Christians, but they disobey and contradict the word of God. It's an oxymoron. We're not talking about perfection. But we don't live there anymore. Second Corinthians um, 5.17, as you know, when a person's a new creation, he's all things are passed away, everything becomes new. There is a drastic change in my mind, in my heart, in my life. I don't live the way I used to. I don't I have the potential, the capacity to think and to live, but I don't want to go there. I want to walk with God. It's a choice that we make. It's evidence that we are born again, that we are serious with God. The people that are warned over and over again, sooner or later, will be humbled by God. Once again, David is a classic example. And there are many others, others in our own contemporary times that God has exposed and humbled and broken. You fill in the blank. You compare what you put in that blank to God's word. And what does God's word say about it? You see, each of us have to take that test every day, ladies and gentlemen. You, I, your children, our friends. Proverbs fourteen twenty seven says, The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. And this is what we lose. We lose the fear of God. And I'm not talking about fearful thing the way you would cower under somebody, but a fear of God knowing he's holy and how good I have it and how good God's been to me. And that I would fear injuring him, fear grieving him, fear bringing repercussions to others. Are we clear on that? The evidence that God has against 
Any believer who is persistent in sin is absolutely true. He doesn't get secondhand information. Sin can deceive us. Satan can deceive us. Self can deceive us. Man. Listen to Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Here it is again. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Daily, one step at a time. You see, the past unfaithful love of Israel was inexcusable. Remember through this whole sermon, this whole chapter, the whole book of Hosea, he's talking to the people of God, not sinners. Keep that context in mind. Notice, secondly, the present chastising love of God comes in verse 6 through 13. 6 through 8, the representative... The, the preventative restraints of God. I love this. God is so good. God would do all he could to make it difficult for Israel to continue in our idolatry. Listen, verse 6. Therefore, behold, I will head, you up, head up your ways, hedge up your ways with thorns and wall her in so that she cannot find her path. God goes out of his way to, to try to hinder us from going down certain routes. The word hedge means to fence up or about with thorns. Painful discipline. The word is found in Job in Job 1.10 for his condition. The word wall has the idea of height. In other words, it's a complement to the fence. Broad and wide and high. God does all he can. Both emphasize the complete attempt by God to deter Israel here from sinning for her own protection, short of violating her will, which he will not. You and I will be lovingly restrained preventively by God all along the road, but he will not force you. God knew the sinful, self-serving slavery of Israel. Notice she will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better for me than now. Verse 7. The word chase means to pursue the locations ardently. To aim eagerly to secure her lovers, the gods. You know, there are certain locations that offer certain things, right? No, nothing has changed. And you've got to ardently seek them out and go to those locations. The word seek means to look for, uh, for that one particular once you arrive. Once you get there, you have selection, right? You get to choose whatever you want. It's no different today. The disappointment would cause her notice to reflect on the better condition she had with her first husband, God. Here's the key. But she fails to act on it. She reflects, but she doesn't act. It means nothing. In fact, it's a greater condemnation. Kind of like the prodigal son. 
He came to himself and says, there are servants in my father's house that eat better than I do. Now, be careful of that example also because the prodigal was a sinner. He wasn't saved. The majority of Christians and pastors on the radio always put him as a backslidden Christian. Never. The father told the son, son, your brother was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. Now he's found. That's a sinner. It's one of three parables of the angels joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. Shame on pastors and Christians that would dare to do that as a backslidden Christian. That's not what it's talking about. This is Israel. She is saved. She's being confronted by God. She's reflecting, but not acting. God knew her self-deception. Attributing all she acquired to these idols, spiritual blindness. Verse 8 says, for she, for she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Israel has syncretized the worship of Yahweh under the calf. Oh, we still believe in Yahweh, and you bring this in, bring that in, and little wine, little this, that, little drugs, and little sex, and man, God's good. Hmm. God, in His mercy, continued to provide her provisions and wealth. Listen carefully, sometimes judgment is God gives you the wealth. God gives you your desire. He turns you over to your sin. Wow. But she merely used these things to maintain the worship center, to serve these gods, to offer up offerings to them. Second Kings chapter 10 would be a good chapter to look at the activities in that. The word return appears 14 times in the book of Hosea. It means repent. 14 times, a key word. God's speaking to his people. Notice 9 through 13, we have now the corrective judgment of God. Now, there's two types of medicines. There's preventative and corrective. Which one you want? <laughs> I want preventative. I don't want people to cut me unless they really have to. God would um, deprive Israel of all her provisions. Listen to verse 9. Therefore, I will return and take away my grain, my grain in its time, my new wine in its season, and I will take back my wool, my linen given to cover her nakedness. He rebuttaled, mine, mine. You've been a parent. You've raised children. You know how they can get sometimes. You just can't come in my bedroom. Whose bedroom? My bedroom. My bed. My sheets. My shower. My food, not yours. Wow. Having no harvest or grain and grapes, my grain, my new wine. Having no materials for clothing, my wool, my linen. God's goodness. He's patient. God would disagree. So God would disgrace Israel by exposing her sin. 
<clears throat> and no one would save her from her captivity. Look at verse 10. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of all her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. Lewdness means immodesty, shamelessness. Literally, her withered state. When you see a person sinning brashly and just corruptly without any embarrassment or anything else, they're in a withered state. Their conscience don't work anymore. There's no decency. There's no nothing. Egypt and Assyria would not help her. They were looking to those two nations to deliver them. Look at verse 11. God would desist the joy of Israel by putting an end to her idolatrous corrupt feasts. I will also cause all her myrrh, the joy, to cease. Her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbath, all her appointed feasts. But they were experiencing great wealth. Oh, God has to be for us. He can't be against us. They were seemingly worshiping Yahweh under his name, but all the corrupt methodology and practices. Wow. I will remove everything from you. You are not going to be very happy pretty soon. How I have seen that happen to people who have turned their back on God. I have seen their destruction and I know that God's done everything he can, everything he could have done. He has restrained them, put obstacles, hindrances, but they were so dead set and so committed to their will and their mind and their lust and their passion that they just didn't care. Verse 12, God would devastate Israel for her ingratitude with no hope of the future. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees of which she has said, These are my wages that my lovers have given me. So I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field shall eat them. Her vine and grace and fig trees were the sign of blessing from God. The grapevines would put an end to their Sin of drunkenness. Study this book and the other minor prophets of the Northern Kingdom. Drunkenness was a big problem. Once again, the church is going wild today about drinking. It's incredible to me. Destruction. And if you can handle it, how about your children? How about your grandchildren? How about others who are weak in the faith and they look at you? My Lord, I hate alcohol. It destroys people. It deceives people. God would castigate Israel for her spiritual adultery. I will punish her for the days of the Baals to which she burned in, says verse 13. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry, nose earrings, and went after her lovers, but me... She forgot, says the Lord. Unnatural. Unfaithful. Here she uses this outward decoration to even attract her lovers even more. To catch their eye. The false eyelashes, the big makeup and you know. And the older you get, the more goes on and you know jewelry and pretty soon you look like a Christmas tree and you know and, and 
amazing. If you're a beautiful woman, be careful. You better walk with God so you can all grow old gracefully. If not, you're going to have a very difficult time. Now, there's very few of us that are really beautiful as women and handsome as men. Most of us just get by. But here as a prostitute, see, when she loses her beauty and lustrous, she you see in chapter 3 and sells herself to a brothel slave market. Her desirability, her beauty is not there anymore. You know? she got to have the lips done, suck on a glass or something or whatever, you know? You've got to... It's amazing the stuff you do. Vanity. The word Baals is in the plural, the supreme male divinity of the Phoenicians called prostitution. There were many Baals, different kinds. And as you know, Ahaz and Jezebel corrupted the entire northern kingdom, just polluted it. I think of Samson's a perfect example of the deception of sin in the areas of the flesh and uh, sexuality, the enslavement, the blinding, and the ultimate destruction of his life. And yet he knew God. And he grieved God. God used him, but it destroyed him, did it not? There is no time that any of us as believers have sinned that God did not first give us many preventative checks and warnings before we sinned. All of us know that. We are to be filled with the power of His might, constantly being filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18 and 6.10. We're to walk in the Spirit in order to not fulfill the lust of the flesh in Galatians 5.16. We're to bring our thoughts into captivity to the beings of Christ for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual, bringing down the strongholds of the enemy in 2 Corinthians 10.3-4. We're to put on the mind of Christ, Philippians 2, 5. These are disciplines. These are obedience that we do every second, every minute of the day, every day of the week, every week of the month, and every month of the year, and every decade of the century. As we abide in Christ, Hosea and Jeremiah are the only ones who speak about backsliding. Hosea 11.7 says, My people are bent on backsliding from me. Though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt Him. 14.4 I will heal their backslidings. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from Him. That's the ultimate goal. We'll see this in the third point. God's mercy. Jeremiah mentions backsliding. Jeremiah 2.19, They're the only two prophets to mention backsliding. Listen to Proverbs 14, 14. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. The guy who is filled with his own ways as a backslider is satisfied from below the earthly realm. Simple. All of us have that potential. We still have sin nature.
God at times takes drastic measures with believers. Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 11.30, as you know, told him that some of them had been sick and some God had killed, taken home, taken their lives. Now, we don't always know when we attend the funeral whether God chastened a believer or not. But it's none of our business, is it? <laughs> we hope for the best, we believe the best, and we leave the rest in God's hands. If we see a brother or sister straying away, we are called to call them back to repent like Hosea. Not to figure out, what well, was he really saved? Who cares? You, you, you assume and you take by faith what they declare and you call them back for restoration. 1 John 5, 16 says, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. He calls it a brother. In the same context, there is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. The context is still a Christian. Now, a majority of commentators, because they're Calvinists, say, well, you know, this is talking about the case in 1 Corinthians, you know, where God made some sick and struck some dead. I don't think so. This is the end of the fifth chapter. There's only five chapters of 1 John. John is speaking against the Gnostics. Every time he speaks about life, he's speaking about eternal spiritual life. Not physical life. Physical life is going to happen to believer and non-believer. Don't distort the context. It's a very strong warning to believers. Wow. The present chastising love of God was justifiable. Notice thirdly, and God is so good here, the future redemptive love of God. When we deserve hell, <laughs> God offers heaven. Notice, 14 through 17, first, God will deal with the remnant of Israel again and will bless her. The picture is of one of courtship love. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. Like the early days when she was delivered from Egypt, comfort means to speak to her heart out of caring love, wooing love. Like a young man woos a virgin to marry. This is the language here. We know that God will protect Israel for three and a half years. Of the great tribulation period in the city of Petra, Isaiah 60, 16, verse 1, and Revelation 12, 6. This text and many others, I don't understand how anybody can teach replacement theology that God is through with Israel and that we, the church, are Israel. It is unbiblical. It is craziness. What do you do with these verses? The earthly blessing will be imparted to her. Listen to 15. I will give her vineyards from there in the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She shall sing there. And as the days of her youth and in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. This is future. The northern kingdom is going to captivity in 722. The southern kingdom is going in 606, 596, 586. The valley of Achor here, which means trouble, was Achan, Achan's downfall. Remember, 
He took of the accursed thing, the Babylonian garment and some silver and gold and stuff like that. Hit him in his tent. The accursed thing. So they went to Ai. They couldn't defeat Ai because they trusted in their flesh. And it wasn't until the sin was confessed and removed that the stone Achan that fellowship was restored and blessing was returned. In Joshua chapter 7, verse 26 or so. He's making a historical point of what happened there and pointing it to the future, what's going to happen. The door of hope, notice this, refers that they will return from Petra through the valley of Achor, singing in their renewed relationship in the, as in the day of Egypt's deliverance. This is the future for Israel. Israel does not believe in God right now. Israel is secular. You have the small percentage of Orthodox Jews with the curls in the hands and the whole do that, but Israel's secular. How can you deny that God is going to deal with Israel again? It's crazy. Verse 16 through 20, God will be reconciled with his wife, the remnant of Israel. Look at 16. The relationship is marked by a new contrast or a new contract of marriage. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord Yahweh, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. There's the key. In that day, the key of the end of the tribulation. In that day, the tribulation period, but in this focus of Israel, it's talking about from the middle to the end and some of these verses at the very end. You find it in verse 16, 18, 21. In that day, in that day, in that day. Future restoration of Israel. God will put in the very mouth of Israel the word, my husband, Ishi. A tender name of love, not Baal, my Lord or master. The renewed love, notice in verse 17 will obliterate any thought of her past unfaithfulness. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. The idea here is that there will be no remembrance or thought of a rival, a total reconciliation, a total commitment to one another. That is future, ladies and gentlemen. How can you teach replacement theology? How can you say that everything was promised to Israel is now to us? How can you say that we, the church, are Israel? Impossible. The kingdom age, in verse 18, will be established for Israel. Listen, in that day I will make a covenant for them. With the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, with the creeping things of the ground, bow and sword of battle, I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. They're not safely right now. In that day, he will renew the earth. The animal kingdom will go back to what it was prior to the fall. Genesis or, or Isaiah 65, 25, the lamb will lay down with the lion. Right now, if the lamb tries that, the lamb will be in the lion. Israel will be united, not two nations, north or south. The stick of Joseph, the stick of Judah, according to Ezekiel 37, 9, and Isaiah 11, 6 through 14, gives us the millennial kingdom and many other passages. For Israel, 
the millennial kingdoms for Israel to fulfill all promise to her, all prophecy. How can you deny the millennial kingdom? It comes from um, covenant theology. And most people with covenant theology, they, they deny the rapture. They deny that uh, there's a millennial kingdom. And they attribute all the promises of Israel to the church. That is absolutely absurd and it makes you a very, very strong anti-Semite. All the major denominations of our nation, Presbyterian, Methodist, and many others, have just boycotted Israel, all her products, uniting in great numbers. God said he would make Jerusalem the trouble of the stone to the whole world. The whole world will be gathered against her. We're almost there. And much of it comes from the church because they believe replacement theology. In that day, war will be no more and Jesus reigns on the earth. Now, what do you do with that verse? It's talking the future time. There's not going to be war. God's going to set up the kingdom for him. In that day, Israel will receive and fulfill all the promises that were promised to her. And the Gentiles will serve Israel. If you weren't with us on our series on the millennial kingdom, you should get that series. Nobody teaches in the millennial kingdom. There's more material, material king on the, on, on the, on the kingdom age than, than many other topics in scripture. The marriage will be eternal. Notice verse 19 and 20. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. How many times did God have to say it? I didn't bother counting them, but there's just too many eyes. Eyes and I wills. I got to be 60 to 100 of them in this thing. I, 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 I will. It's all God. Now you think God's a liar? You think he just embellishes? Wow. To betroth this, to covenant in marriage, in righteousness and justice in 19. By God's loving kindness, steadfast love, covenant love, and mercy, pity, compassion, less than she deserves. Verse 19. Twice the word betrothed is stated for emphasis based on God's faithfulness to Israel to know Yahweh. Verse 20. This will come to pass. Then in verse 21 to 23, God will answer the prayers of the remnant of Israel and enjoy her. Verse 21, God's ear will be open to the prayer of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord Yahweh. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. There's complete reconciliation, relationship. Verse 22, God will bless the produce of the earth for Israel. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine and with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Now connect the dots. Jezreel was the name of the firstborn prophetically of judgment in chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. It means scatter. Jehu was connected with that judgment because of the house of Ahab. But now it's for blessing. The scattering is for sowing, for blessing. It's a whole different relationship that's going to take place in the future. Israel with God. Look at 23. God will delight in Israel 
his people. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth. In the earth. A literal kingdom. And I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. Again, go back to the other names of the children. Naruma, Laomai. Reversing the prophetic name of the children, indicating total reconciliation. As sure as Jesus is choosing a bride for himself, which he alone knows who they are, God has already chosen the remnant and he knows who they are of Israel. There's the visible church and the invisible church. The visible church that we see is not all the church of Jesus Christ. The invisible church is the one who really belongs to Jesus Christ. Much of it's in heaven. The other one's still here on earth. Every generation as the gospel goes forth. He knows who trust him, who believe in him. And nothing will fail. And yet, he doesn't force us. No Christian should ever accept replacement theology. It is unbiblical. What do you do with Romans 9, 10, and 11 if you only had those three chapters? How do you explain them away? Well, you reinterpret them. You apply them to yourself out of context. You ignore the application to Israel. Listen to Romans eleven seventeen through 19. If some of the branches were broken off, and you, you the church, Gentiles, being a wild branch tree, were grafted in among them, and with them because became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do not re, uh, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you, you will say then, branches break off. Branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. So in other words, Paul is telling the Gentiles, be careful, walk humbly. Israel is the root. We are the wife, the branches, the wild olive branch. The root supports us. Lest we be haughty, and he says, we be cut off also. In 1121, it says, For if God did not spare the natural branches, Israel, he may not spare you either. Listen to Romans 11:25. He says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest... You should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened in Israel until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. The full number of Christians to be saved of the church before the Lord removes the church. Blindness in part has happened. Then God will deal with Israel through the seven-year tribulation. Daniel 9.27, they will make a covenant with the Antichrist. God is dealing with the church till he removes her. 1 Thessalonians 4.16-17, we will be hard apostles caught up to the clouds, meet the Lord in the air with the loved ones and be with him. We will go up to the Bema Seat of Christ of Romans 14, 10, 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, uh, 4, 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 10. Where we'll be rewarded for the things that we've done, the motive of our love, and if not, we get no reward. We will have the marriage 
of the Lamb up in heaven. We will return for the supper for a great thousand-year honeymoon. Revelation 16, or 19, 6 through 9. And the seven-year tribulation and great tribulation are under deception of the Antichrist while we're up in heaven. He builds the temple, as you know. He enters in, declares himself to be God. He causes the desolation of oblation of the sacrifice. Matthew twenty four fifteen, Jesus said, flee to the wilderness to the Jew. Matthew 25 is a kingdom. Jesus is establishing. He, he, he punishes those who treated the Jew wrong. You did it to one of my brethren. That's Matthew 25. That's kingdom. He's establishing the kingdom. That's the judgment of the nations. And then the kingdom is set up. Second Thessalonians 2. He enters the temple. He declares himself God. The image of the beast. The church will rule and reign with Jesus in the millennial kingdom. Listen to Revelation 5.10. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. What is it that we don't understand? <laughs> that God is not through with Israel. Wow. The future redemptive love of God. Listen. Listen was predictable. That's why it's called God's Word. Don't believe some airhead PhD. Believe the Word of God. God is not through with Israel. This was the Word of God to idolatrous Israel. Characterized by the past unfaithful love of Israel that was inexcusable. The present chastising love of God that was justifiable. And the future redemptive love of God that was predictable. You can count on it. There's no need to doubt. Lord, thank you for your grace, your love, your goodness. Deal with our hearts. We thank you. We praise you. We pray that you continue to just instruct us, Lord, that we look to you. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins, or maybe you're over the Internet. You may believe some of this crazy stuff about Israel. But first things first, be born again, and then things will come together a little easier. <laughs> if you believe Jesus is God who became man, died for your sins, and rose from the dead, and he died in your place to pay the price of your sin, and that only he alone can forgive you from, and remove you from the wrath of God, then you can call upon his name by the grace of God through the work of the Spirit of God right now. That's the only way it can be done. But... You're the one that does it. He doesn't force you. If you want to be born again right now, this is your prayer to Him. And He's going to save you right where you're at right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. Amen. If you made that decision, we want to walk into the family, whether to my right or left.
by that door. He will give you that Bible, share some important things for you, pray with you, answer questions. You'll be free to leave, but don't leave. You're the same when you came in. Hosea is just going to blow our mind. He's got great stuff in here. He's talking to...